Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from Bryant Park here in New York City. Will and I have decided to try a couple of different um, areas around the city, uh, especially as the weather is still nice, and um, we figure we're in New York, we might as well give it a try, right? So, um, we, you know, we've, we've already done Central Park, um, We'll eventually do on uh, the New York Public Library and all of that. But for right now, we're in Bryant Park, where it is beautiful. Um, and Will will be joining me for our weekly political talk. Ooh, I cannot speak today. <laughs> segment in just a little bit. And there is a ton of news for you. A ton of it. So, get ready for that. But we're going to start things off with some of the Varsity Blue scandal. Um, as you know, Felicity Huffman last week was sentenced to two weeks in jail, uh, a year of probation, and a $30,000 fine, as well as some community service. By all accounts, she got off pretty easy. Um, you know... Things could have been far, far, far worse for her had she not taken the plea deal. And, you know, she honestly seems to realize how bad it could have been for her and is working on making it right. Um... So yeah, we are, um, Felicity Huffman has embraced her guilt and humbled herself before the court and the court of public opinion. And it is, it's widely expected that, um, after she serves her time, she has to turn herself in before October 25th. Um, after she serves her time and gives it a little bit of um, downtime, she'll be able to uh, make a full comeback and work as steadily as she ever has. On the other hand, Lori Lachlan has not been as gracious under pressure. And has repeatedly been defiant about um, her role in this and why she did it. Um, you know, her excuses have facilitated from I didn't do nothing wrong to I only did what any good mom would do. Her latest is, she didn't know she was even breaking the law, so how could she, how could she possibly have committed a crime if she didn't know she was breaking the law? And I've said this before, um, on this very situation, and I'm going to say it again, probably multiple times, ignorance is not a defense. No judge is going to let you say, I didn't know it was a crime. That's just not how it works. 
um, but now word is spreading that Lori Lachlan wants to avoid Felicity Huffman's fate and realizes that the only way that's going to happen is if she and her husband Massimo are found not guilty in a court of law. Now, here's the thing. By all accounts, Felicity Huffman has handled this situation like a pro. Um, every single PR company out there wants a client like Felicity Huffman who listens to their every instruction. Even if she's not sorry, even if, you know, she doesn't, she's just mad that she got busted, you don't know it from her statements, from her, uh, her appearances in court. You know, everything suggests that she did wrong, she knows she did wrong, and she was trying to make it right now. And let's face it, as soon as the scandal broke, you knew that there was going to be a lot of people coming down in it. There's going to be a lot of fallout. And Felicity went the route of I'm going to save my career and my hide. Lori Lachlan went the route of it was me. Like, seriously. And the fact that they can't even keep one strategy in place I think says a lot. I'm not talking about education, although um, some people have offered up the fact that um, Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy, her husband, um, both went to very good colleges, and it doesn't appear as as Omasimo or Lori Lachlan did. But I think the, the, the biggest difference here is um, Felicity Huffman and her husband came from middle class families whereas Lori Lachlan and her and Massimo came from very wealthy families already and so I don't I really don't feel like they see what they did as being wrong Because in their in their eyes, no one got hurt. You know what I mean? Like in their eyes, so they got their daughters into school via any means necessary. That's what all rich people do. Which was yet another one of their excuses. And you know, I would have actually stuck with that one. If I were them, I would have stuck to that one because that one would have gotten traction with them, for them. Um, but now they're both, now Lori Loughlin is facing 40 years in prison and is still under some sort of delusion that she's not going to see the inside of a prison cell at all. And that's just sad. Of course, we're going to stay on top of the story and I will bring you any new developments as they occur. For right now, though, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. 
over the weekend, the Tribeca TV uh, Festival happened. And as one of the keynote um, sessions, they were able to get uh, Marta Kaufman um, and David Crane, um, the two co-creators of mega-hit classic sitcom Friends to sit down for a panel um, discussion. And they have both officially ruled out any chance of a reboot or remake or continuation or any of any sort of um, sign that the show would come back on air. Um, and it's not for lack of trying. Um, Warner Media, who owns the rights to the series, has tried and pitched... Um, to get them to at least do like a get together um, with the cast um, for their upcoming um, their upcoming streaming service HBO Max, um, and Marta Marta has always contended that it was not going to happen. Um, that while she's happy at the success they had um it was a it was a bygone era um when friends are your family and um you know and once that era is gone then your family is your family and you kind of just you know you just kind of wait lie in wait and um come up with a new concept a new show David Crane um echoed those sentiments and has said, hey, Fringe was great. Very, very happy that it happened. But we're, we're not going to go back. You know, it's just not one of those things that we feel... Um, it, it, it's just not one of those things that we feel is necessary. Um, we told the story we wanted to tell. You know, we got to tell it for a very long time, and... Now it's time for us to move to something new. So, with all that being said, um, they know they're still going to get asked that all the time. And they know they're going to get asked that because they can't promote any new project without friends coming up. Um... Marta Kaufman, every time she does press for Grace and Frankie, gets asked about a, um, a possible reboot and continuation. And honestly, at some point, it has to get old. Um, but David Crane actually kind of had something to say that I found really interesting. He said that he sometimes... You know, he doesn't watch at home, but sometimes if he's out and traveling, um, it'll be on or whatever. And um, he'll catch an episode and think, oh, that really holds up. Or, oh, that was terrible. Why did we do that? And I've never related to someone more in my life than I did to him in that moment. You know... I don't, obviously I don't like TV, but a lot of times, like, I'll 
I'll be going through Time Hop or um, my memories on Facebook or something will just magically reappear, like someone will comment on it after years or whatever. And I'll go back and read the piece. And I'm like, what the actual... And this goes for fiction and nonfiction. What was I thinking? Or, or at, like, um, the case with The Hand of Fate, um, it'll be so good that I'm like, oh, damn. Yes. Okay, I can, I can definitely see where I was going with that. And... You know, at, at this point, um, it, it's just one of those things. Um, it happens. I try to be better now. But that doesn't mean every piece is going to knock it out of the park. Likewise. Um, not every episode, not every situation that is written for a sitcom is going to be funny. Um... Marta pointed to two where she was particularly unhappy with the storyline. Um, and both, I don't know if this is surprising or, um, I don't think it's a dig at, um, Lisa Kudrow. I think that might actually be a testament to, um, the, the great respect that she has for her. But both of these storylines involved, um, Lisa Kudrow's Phoebe. In the one... In the one... I believe it was in uh, season two episode... Um... Phoebe's naval boyfriend... Played by Charlie Sheen... Comes for a visit... And... Um... She gets chicken pox and they give it to one another. It's a... Funny episode. I... You know not necessarily laugh a minute but it was a decent enough episode and it is kind of surprising that she doesn't um, care for it quite as much as um, some some other episodes the other one um, was a David Arquette episode where he played a, a man who was stalking Phoebe's twin sister Ursula and um, ends up dating Phoebe. And Marta's, Marta said that they did a ton of rewrites on the on that episode and just couldn't get it right. You know, they couldn't get it to... Um, I, uh, they couldn't get it to where they, they would be super-duper happy and, um, you know, want to watch it a lot. Again, a classic episode. Um, I think they just didn't feel like they did enough um, to support Phoebe um, in the early episodes of the show. And and for that matter, Lisa Kudrow has said, um, she's spoken out in an interview and said that um, she... Um, by season three, she was really frustrated playing Phoebe. And, you know, she was just so frustrated. And Matt LeBlanc actually sat her down and said, 
dude, you've been doing this for three years. You're good at what you do. So, you know, just you're you are Phoebe. Phoebe is you. Just sit back and and let it happen. You know, let it come naturally. And once she did that, she relaxed. And speaking of relaxing, I'm gonna take a break, and I will be right back. And we're back. As I promised you, I have your favorite drunk gossip host, since y'all apparently don't love me, you love Will. I'm sorry that I know what I'm talking about. As if I don't know what I'm talking about. No comment. (laughs) Let's see you handle a segment on Britney. I already handle a segment on people who melt down much harder than Britney does and with much less grace. And for, know this to be true. And for once, he's not talking about me. <laughs> um, Alright, before I hand this segment over to Will, there is a breaking story this weekend that we want to talk about. We don't have all the details yet, um, so we're working on rumor, insinuation, and flat-out politic talk. Yep. Um, there are more sexual harassment and uh, sexual assault allegations against Brett Kavanaugh at this time. Last year, um, he, in the words of Elizabeth Warren, his nomination to the Supreme Court of the United States was ramrodded through the Senate in an effort for Republicans to continue to control the, ju- the judicial system. So, um, Kavanaugh is, new evidence has come to light regarding Kavanaugh's behavior in college. It was previously rumored that Kavanaugh had, um, gotten really, at a number of occasions where he had, uh, gotten drunk with the boys because he likes beer so much. <laughs> he had walked around taking his pants off and forced female classmates to touch his dick, to put it bluntly. That recently, um, a new book into his, a new investigation into his nomination has revealed that there is corroborating evidence for that rumor. In fact, there was some corroborating evidence last year at the time of his confirmation that the FBI did not pursue. This is obviously just rumors at the moment. We will update you as soon as we have more information, most likely tomorrow, but if not, certainly on next week's Politalk. At this time, um, Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Julio, or Julio rather, Castro, among other top Democrats, are calling for Kavanaugh to be removed from the Supreme Court. It doesn't seem likely at this point, although I'm hearing that there are a growing number of Republicans who are disheartened by these allegations and could be flipping. Should have been disheartened when he behaved like a teenaged Arby's worker at his confirmation hearing. But I like beer! Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like beer too, but you don't hear me bragging about that in job interviews. Anyway, it's time for this week's Politalk, where we cover all the big political happenings of the last week. Life comes at you fast sometimes, folks. And you know, this week is one of those weeks you're going to want to strap in because a lot of things happened and this is going to be a long segment in response. 
So, you may recall during last week's Politalk, we covered the Sharpie Gate story. Specifically, the rumor that, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the name Sharpie Gate, by the way, because I hate the fucking gate suffix for everything. And I think that after something this stupid, nobody's ever going to use it for a scandal again. But who knows, they kept using it after Gamergate, so maybe I'm wrong. You say that, Trump says, hold my beer, Kavanaugh drinks it. Let's, okay. <laughs> Why'd you put that image in my head, Ed? Anyway. So, there was a rumor going around at the time we were, uh, uh, at recording time, that Trump had, that uh, Trump's cabinet had ordered the NOAA and National Weather Service to to back up his claim that Hurricane Dorian was threatening Alabama, basically talking over their own forecasts. And mere moments after we published the, the last week's Politalk, the New York Times reported on these rumors, claiming that Congressman Wilbur Ross had threatened to fire any members of the NOAA or National Weather Service who, who contradicted Trump publicly or even within the agency. They were to back up his claim instead of their own forecasts. Now, that would have been the biggest story of the week, if not for what happened immediately afterwards, which is, well, which is the, Taliban, the failed Taliban meeting little bit of background, because you can't just say failed Taliban meeting and expect people to, uh, and expect people to not, and, ex- and not give anyone any context. It, just so you guys know, this is not satire. Unfortunately. Yes, I was looking for a job as a satirist once, but then I uh, got older and realized that it was just the news these days. <laughs> anyway, back on topic. It's a stated objective of the Trump administration to wind down the war in Afghanistan, to withdraw most of our troops there and achieve a peace process. And to that end, the administration has been conducting negotiations with the Taliban for some time now. The uh, CNN reports that they did have an agreement that they were close to finalizing when Trump inserted himself into the process. He thought that... um, since he's the greatest deal maker, he could get the Taliban to agree to a deal that was more favorable to the U.S. And the best way to do that would be via a face-to-face meeting. And what better place to hold a face-to-face meeting than that greatest of presidential haunts where many uh, important diplomatic meetings have taken place? Camp David. So yes, he invited the Taliban to Camp David to come finalize the deal. The Taliban's leaders categorically refused to go to Camp David until after the peace process had been completed, after the treaty was signed and we were withdrawing our troops. And uh, so Trump, in one of his usual fits, um, canceled the whole thing and then bitched about it on Twitter, as one does. You know, it's sad when even the Taliban is like, new number, who dis? Uh... I mean, 
It's really very, very difficult to get to a point where the Taliban looks reasonable during a debate. Now, a lot of Trump's advisors were against, not only against, most of them were against the Taliban meeting at Camp David, but a few were even against the peace process entirely. It was believed by a number of Trump's advisors, but specifically by national security advisor, well, former national security advisor John Bolton, that the Taliban could not be trusted to hold to any peace agreement on account of how they have acted when presented with past peace agreements. Fair now, fair. John Bolton is kind of famous for being a nuttish war hawk. Specifically, his, his most famous position is that we should bomb the shit out of North Korea to get them to stop, uh, to stop their missile program. Which we're not, we're not going to get into here. But anyway, John Bolton was, for some reason, looking like the adult in the room. Which could give you a, which should give you a state of how bad things are within the administration. And they've gotten worse since he got fired immediately after this. I believe on Tuesday, the 10th, he was fired by Donald Trump. Or at least Trump claimed that he was fired. Bolton would later go on to claim that he had offered his resignation. And he would, uh, later in the week, restart his own super PAC to fund anti-Trump candidates. So yeah, um, we're at... This is, this is Tuesday, by the way, guys. This, is, this all has happened before Tuesday. I, at this point, I'm not even sober yet from the weekend. Yeah. Uh, it gets better. Um, a number of... The Trump administration was rocked with further scandals this week. On Wednesday, it um, became public knowledge that a number of, official, of FEMA officials, as well as a private contractor, were indicted by a grand jury for embezzlement and fraud. Apparently, uh, a small cabal of officials had conspired to grant huge disproportionate government contracts to a utility, to a utility that was owned by some of their friends. I say friends because the de- friends with air quotes for the record, the, detail, the details of their relationship are implied to be significantly more sordid between the owner and one of the officials involved. Uh, but I, does in this the point is the utility company has catastrophically failed to rebuild Puerto Rico's power grid, which was what it was contracted to do. Some parts of Puerto Rico still don't have reliable power more than a year after Maria hit. And the Puerto Rican government was the corrupt ones. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps in an attempt to deflect attention away from this most recent scandal, Donald Trump on Thursday launched into an rather unbelievable tirade justifying his latest attempts at rolling back regulations. Specifically, Trump's administration loosened the restrictions made on light bulb, made on light bulbs, basically. Said light bulbs don't need to be as energy efficient. Trump, um, as part of his rationale, claimed that 
environmentally friendly fluorescent light bulbs make him look orange. I thought it was a spray tan. Yeah, uh, I thought it was just. I thought that was just how he looked, but I guess it was. I guess it was those darn light bulbs. Damn it, light bulbs. <sighs> yeah, so that's Thursday. Thank the Lord for my sanity that we had a fairly quiet Friday, or perhaps I was simply so desensitized. What else happened this week? Oh yeah, a the rebel, um, a group of Yemeni rebels bombed bombed the shit out of a Saudi oil field using drones, halting that country's production of crude oil by cutting it in half, basically, which drops the global market, which dropped global market production by five percent. Isn't it amazing how that barely made a footnote after all the crazy shit that happened? Well, what would have been the top story worldwide? To be fair, it probably is still the top story in Saudi Arabia and the region. Which is fair, but the rest of the world's like, ooh, we got Brexit over here, Trump over here. By all accounts, Putin seems normal now. Mm, Don't, don't. Don't say it. We're going to get an... Shit like this is how you get another picture of him shirtless riding a bear or some fuckery. Or whatever he, do, or whatever he does now. If that happens, I owe Will some alcohol. I feel like it goes without saying, by the way, but the Trump administration is using the uh, attack on the Saudi oil fields to... Has blamed Iran for it and is using it to agitate for conflict with Iran because, you know... That's what they do almost exclusively these days with regards to Iran. This could be just part of... To be entirely fair, Iran has backed the Yemeni rebel groups in the past. But also to be fair, the rebel groups have a lot of reasons to attack Saudi Arabia besides Iran ordered them to. Including but not limited to the fact that uh, the Saudis have been conducting a, basically a genocide against the people of Yemen. That, yeah, that's unfortunately that, still going on. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I think that about wraps up our Paula talk for the week. We'll have more on the Kavanaugh story as soon as it becomes available. Yep. And Will's already hard at work for next week's segment. I sure am. Pray for me, folks. I might even try to sneak him in and get him to do a Thursday episode. We'll see how things go. Thank you very much, everybody. I'll be stepping out for a moment. I will uh, and hand me back over to Ed. I will see you, if not Thursday, then this time next week. And I will be right back. And I'm back. And over the weekend... Emmys were handed out um, for more of the technical categories and the guest actors and whatnot. Um, Jane Lynch, who won for The Marvelous Miss Maisel, uh, was talking about a potential new project that she's going to be a part of with the legendary and iconic Cindy Lauper. So, after, um, after, after the win, you know, they go to the press room and to ask a bunch of questions. And Jane, who is no... Uh, no stranger to... Um, the happenings in these rooms. Um, she won for Glee. She's won for... 
Um, game night, she's won for um, a slew of other series. So, I mean, she's been to the winner's circle more times than any of us can count. <laughs> um, but she revealed that she's working with Netflix and Cindy Lauper on a new show, which she says will be like the Golden Girls for today. Um, and already you can see that as perfect casting. Uh, I see Cindy Lauper as the Rose Nyland type character, the naive, um, for lack of a better word, the naive stupid one. Um, and you can kind of see Cindy at, or at Jane Lynch as the B. Arthur, Dorothy Spornak, stand-in, sarcastic, mean, but with a tender heart. Um, we don't know, uh, there are two roles that are yet to be cast, and we need Susan Lucci, period. Get fucking Susan Lucci on this, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, but, uh, so, uh, theoretically, the other roles would be, um, Sophia Petrillo, or a Sophia Petrillo-type character, um, probably related to one of the girls, um, namely Jane Lynch. Um, wise beyond, wise, I was gonna say beyond her years, but she was, like, 90. (laughs) Um, but very wise, um, glib. Uh, and, you know, self-deprecating. Um, I don't think you can do something in the vein of the Golden Girls without um, getting Betty White. Um, now, Betty White is advanced in years. She's 190 or something. I don't know. Um, so maybe get her a recurring role on this. Um, Cher might be willing to do a serious regular role for the right price. Um... Although, getting Cher would be too much of a dream come true. And she would be way too tall to play Jane Lynch's mother. <laughs> but it still, it would be fun to see Cher. <laughs> Megan Mullally would be a good, another good one. She's free after Will and Grace. Um, so that, that could be fun. So this is something I've actually talked about uh, um, in an article I wrote for Generation Gossip... Um, where I tried to cast the new Golden Girls, and Susan Lucci was has always been at the top of my list. Um, first of all, Susan fucking Lucci, okay? What more do you need beyond that? But if you do need more, um, you know, we already know she can bring the funny. We already know that she's a top-tier actor. She's an Emmy winner, for God's sake. She's headlined two um, primetime programs. And her Q rating is still one of the highest in the industry. And this is almost ten years after All My Children went off the air. Um, And it's been three or four years since Devious Maids aired its uh, final episode. So the fact that, you know, these talk shows and um, people still clamor to see her 
speaks volumes. The fact that, it, that it's apparently going to be a Netflix show, um, I think actually bolsters the, um, the likelihood of either getting Cher or um, Susan Lucci because, you know, no one wants to... No one wants to sign on and um, get called back to work every so often. With Netflix plan, you you do the episodes, and when you're done, you wait for the season two pickup. Uh, you know, and a lot of people are like, "Well, we don't want to get invested in a in a Netflix show because they're canceled after two or three seasons anyway." Yes, yes, they are. But keep in mind that a lot of the shows that that are getting canceled are from outside studios. So what does this mean? It means that um, like a Warner Media or a Sony or a um, a Fox or an ABC those studios sell the shows to Netflix. And there's there are certain things that a network has to pay for. And in a, in a case like Netflix where um, they have a lock on the streaming rights. Uh, the way to monetize these shows becomes a lot harder. So the studios want more money up front. In the beginning of a show, um, the studio pays for most, if not all, of the cost of a show in the hopes that it will make it to syndication. The Netflix model flips it on its head because there is no syndication model. BoJack Horseman is the one and only Netflix show to ever make it to syndication. Um, Some people are going to argue that One Day at a Time did. No, it didn't. I love One Day at a Time. And this is not a syndication deal. The, The fact that the first three episodes are going to be airing on Pop is as a way to promote the upcoming fourth season of the love show. Um, and it is not um, a way for Sony to make more money. Um, so, so there's that. And Netflix also... Netflix also um, has changed the way royalties are paid. No longer is it, no longer are royalties being paid um, every time a show airs. Because I could be watching Friends and you're watching something else, but both shows are still playing. So, you know, they have to figure that out. But with an all star cast, a premise that suggests that the show will live live on forever. Um, I am fairly confident that Netflix will give will let the show live for quite a while, especially if they can keep the cost relatively low, um, which is one of the most important things. 
I'm going to take a break. We have some breaking news when, uh, when we come back. Um, and then Will is going to be joining me for a political talk. I'll be right back. And I'm back. And we are returning to uh, the big story um, that's kind of ruptured around and um, made its way into the crevices of almost every part of the entertainment industry so far. The Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth breakup. For those of you who don't, don't know, just hours before pictures of Miley Cyrus kissing Caitlin Carter um, surfaced on the gossip blogs, a statement was released saying that Miley and Liam had parted ways um, and that it was an ever-evolving and ever-changing relationship. And it seemed like hippy-dippy bullshit. Um, almost... The statement almost seemed like it was planted to stunt any kind of scandal um, that the pictures would have created. And of course, all the gossip blogs lined up to take sides um, with with a majority of them going with Team Liam and just a few going with Team Miley. Um, page six is was one of those that were squarely in Team Liam, although now they're kind of backpedaling a little bit and trying to give the... Um, at least the appearance of... Um, Um, of impartiality. Um, you know what I mean? Like, now they're like, well, Liam's camp says this, but Miley's camp says that. But they both agree that the marriage is over. Where before it was all Liam. Now, I don't know if this is because Liam maybe gets some more page views. Um, or because Liam's team is um, much better at spinning him as the victim than um, Miley's team is. And in fact, Miley's team seems to have dropped that... Um, seems to have dropped that part of the um, storyline and is now leaning into um, the smart... Uh, independent Miley who knew that something wasn't working and therefore started to try to move towards something that was that was going to work to that end um, Liam's people are still putting out that he was completely blindsided by uh, by the announcement and that he only learned that his marriage broke up through the internet through social media and Miley seems says bullshit you did the marriage was crumbling we were there were lots of fighting there was all of this you know you knew that this marriage was over don't try it with us son and to that end Liam seems was like well yeah but we were still trying to make it work and Miley seems like yeah we tried to make it work too and it didn't work 
Which, this is what I love. This is truly what I love here. Um, obviously they were a real couple. I don't think anyone doubts that. I know some people have tried to figure out why they were together. Um, some have said it was a PR stunt. Some have said that it was um, a bearding relationship. But the thing is, is Miley's never hidden the fact that she's pansexual. Um, Liam, on the other hand, despite there being rumors, um, he has never publicly acknowledged being um, anything other than straight. Uh, of course, he has expressed um, great, great gratitude and um, love for the LGBTQ community, uh, but he's never claimed to be a part of it. So this whole this whole situation here seems to have grown more and more out of control. Um, Blind Gossip, who is squarely Team Liam, is trying to paint Miley as the um, the the drug dealer, the um, a drug addict who was simply out of control, and all Liam wanted to do was have a family. Damn it! Whereas Crazy Days and Nights is squarely Team Miley, and this is surprising because. Anti Lawyer does not go easy on Miley Cyrus at all. And he is Team Miley on the, uh, in this breakup. And he says that Liam wanted to dictate when they were going to have a baby. Liam was, wanted to dictate um, when Miley was going to be allowed to work. And felt that he should be the only one working after they had kids. Despite the fact that Miley Cyrus has contracts um, with... Um, with record labels, with um, television and movie um, productions. And Miley was like, "Um, I'm more successful than you, dude. Uh, So just stop. And to that end, um, Interior has also maintained that um, Interior has also maintained that um, Liam was the one cheating and not Miley. Uh, he has claimed that Liam was seen with multiple women and men on the beaches of Australia making out and doing various other things. Of course, this could all be part of the marriage crumbling plot line. Um, that, that emerged, um, more recently but here's the thing and this is true of any couple I think um I'm I'm trying to phrase this just right it's so hard to find someone you're compatible with it's even harder to find someone you're compatible with when you break up and get back together constantly and add on top of that the pressures of celebrity and fame and you have a recipe for disaster I'm not sorry for saying that because it is absolutely positively true it is almost impossible to keep a marriage 
or a relationship going, let alone a marriage, with all of that pressure. And, you know, when you're an actor or a singer or whatever, you're constantly traveling. And 90% of the time, you're not traveling with your spouse. Again, this is just a fact of life. Um, but that's going to do it for me for today. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. And then until next time, cheers. Cheers.